0: Blog Talk Radio <laughs>
1: And rescue you, just
2: small. Small. For super chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer radio show brought to you by Tractor Supply, where we give away more chicken coops and chicken-related prizes than anyone else on the planet. We are often imitated, but never duplicated. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, National Spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds Program, and Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Today is Thursday, May 15th, and I would like to thank all of you for tuning in this afternoon on Blog Talk Radio. This is a live radio show that is broadcast around the world. This radio show is all about keeping backyard poultry, show poultry, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit our website, chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter and become a fan on Facebook. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tractor Supply. When you need an incubator, think Brensey, the incubation specialist. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices visit them online at Brency.com. brincea spelled b-r-i-n-s-e-a that's brincea.com or call 1-888-667-7009 enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators brooders egg handlers and other incubation accessories when you need an incubator think brincea technology you can trust Introducing the Chicken Fountain, a new way to water your flock. The Chicken Fountain will change your life and keep your chickens healthier by providing clean, fresh water every time. No more daily cleaning of dirty chicken waterers. This semi-sealed system keeps every drop of water fresh and clean. Proudly made in the USA, the Chicken Fountain will provide your flock with fresh, clean water for years to come. To order your Chicken Fountain, visit chickenfountain.com. That's chickenfountain.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website, healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. A message from the USDA.
3: Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with a Chicken Whisperer.
4: And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky,
5: you'll know it's Super Chicken.
2: All right. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. We do appreciate you uh, listening in today. We have another very important show today, as we did back on Monday regarding the current Salmonella outbreak that the CDC, Center for Disease Control and Prevention, has uh, been reporting on. We've been sharing their reports. I just got off the phone with Casey, who is in charge of this outbreak with the CDC, and um, she wanted me to let everybody know that it is currently ongoing, that they are getting more reports of uh, sick people um, regarding this outbreak. They have not made any public changes to the numbers, but she again, it is ongoing, and she they are uh, receiving information that there are more illnesses coming in uh, due to the outbreak, and they will make uh, changes publicly to the numbers um, as, as needed. So I wanted to give uh, everybody that update from the CDC. Back on Monday, um, we had uh, Peter Brown, also known as the chicken doctor, uh, founder of First State Vet Supply, and we had Dr. McRae, Ph.D., poultry scientist and professor from Delaware State University. They'll be joining us again today as well. I also um, have Dr. Hopkins, who's going to tell us a little bit about his self, uh, wonderful bio and a wonderful background in poultry. And uh, about half past the hour, I have uh, uh, Dr. Maurice Patisky with UC Davis, who uh, also is going to be coming on. And, and my goal for the show today, um, because even though we had Um, really two different views and and opinions about if you happen to have birds uh, that are associated with this outbreak, kind of what to do. Um, I wanted to reach out to more people and maybe get more choices if there are any more about what to do. So if you, the consumer, uh, have some backyard poultry that has been identified with this outbreak, really what are the choices. So at the end of the show, my goal personally is to say, okay, we've talked to five or six different experts from five different, you know, six different universities, uh, different colleges, different backgrounds, different certifications. You can read those up and post them online. And then here's what they recommend. Here's what they would do if they had eight backyard chickens in their backyard in suburbia. Um, And um, And they knew that they got uh, chickens that's associated with with the outbreak. That's my goal. And along the way, we can educate about uh, things that we talked about Monday and things that have come up since, like, well, yes, there's Well, I can't say that. There may be vaccinations that are available, but they may not be 100%. They they still may shed the the salmonella and the droppings. There may be some testing that you can do to find out if they have this, but that doesn't seem to be all that reliable either. They could be not shedding it today and shedding it tomorrow, and and, and all of the stuff we'll we'll touch on again uh, today as well. Um, And then with antibiotics, you know, can we treat this with some antibiotics if we can, which ones are available to me, Um, and is it a good idea to to use antibiotics on non-sick Birds. If you're just gonna, you know, all these questions that we get on our Facebook page. So let me just uh, also let everybody know that, you know, the kind of the old saying, uh, don't shoot the messenger. Um, I am the medium here to bring on the experts uh, and have them give us their uh, opinion and you all this information and then do with it what you choose what will best suit your needs uh your feelings your family your flock and and then do with the information what what you wish so um if you if uh, for example um, I know that uh, calling uh, doesn't sit well with some people. I, I get that. I completely get that. Nobody advocates backyard chickens more than I, and they have not for longer. So, so I get that. I have uh, uh, named chickens as well. So, so I understand that. But it may be uh, somebody's. Uh, um, it, it may be uh, that person's thing to do. It may not. It may not sit well with some folks, and they want other options or possible option, options. But if they do those other options, they also want to know uh, the risks there. So it's just it's one of those things. It's all about education. Um, I'm definitely kind of the again just the medium to bring you the information. I'm not playing uh, sides here. Anybody who's listened to the show for a long time knows that. If you listen Monday, you know that. I'm going to ask the questions. Some of them may be very difficult and um, painstaking. But we're going to get this information. So, so at the end of the show, I'm hoping that we can nip this in the bud, because um, I'm dreaming about salm- salmonella now. <laughs> it's crazy that at the end of the show today, we can say, okay, look, here are our options, though limited, and then you can do what you feel comfortable with doing based on your decision, your family, um, and, and based on inconvenience exact- and, 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 and cost as well. We have to realize that, you know, there's a budget, there's time. If you have to have them tested, how long does that take, budget for, purchasing possibly the vaccinations or, or the medicine and delivering it the right way if you've never done that before. So we're going to talk all about this stuff today and uh, just lay it out there and then uh hope good information from qualified people and then uh so you can make up your mind. That's all this is about. So um, and I'm definitely not taking sides one way or the other. I Definitely, uh, do not have the letters behind my name or the pay scale but a lot of these and the experience that these folks do. So I'm going to go right to the phone lines immediately. I'm going to bring. Um, we've got three coming on immediately, and then I've got uh, Doctor Maurice Batiski's coming on around um, 2:30 as well from UC Davis. I believe I have everybody uh, in queue in the switchboard now. I'm going to go ahead over here, and I'm going to bring on. Um, Peter Brown, also known as uh, the Chicken Doctor and founder of First State Vet Supply. Peter, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Andy. How are you doing?
2: Good. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, sure. Next, I'll click the button here,
1: and we'll bring
2: um, uh, a poultry scientist and professor, Dr. Bridget McRae on with Delaware State University. Uh, Dr. McRae, thank you very much for joining us. Hi. Hi. Great. Thanks. Glad you're here. And then I believe the next person here in queue is... Uh, Dr. Hopkins, I want to make sure that this is, uh, that I just have the name Dr. Hopkins, are you available?
4: Yes, I'm here, good afternoon.
2: Yeah, thank you very much for joining us as well, Now I understand that you're calling from overseas, you're over in the Saudi Arabia area, is that correct?
4: Uh, that's correct, I'm in Riyadh.
2: So there may be some background noise, there may be a delay, so just just bear with us, but I think that we'll try to get, and if I have to... Um, I'll uh, put anybody on mute because of background noise or technical noise or that and I may actually uh i may do that let me put you back on there yeah, there we go, so we had some background noise because of the international call so that's that's not a problem so we'll 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 come back and I'll let you know when and when and I'll periodically uh take take that off so we can get some i'm going to go ahead and do it now and see if we still have the background noise, video okay? Yep, we still have a little bit, so I'm going to go ahead and put you back on mute for just a second, Dr. Hopkins, so there's no problem. So we're going to go ahead and start. My, my question, we're going to have each uh, panelist kind of have the same question, and have the same scenario, and um, and then they can tell us, based on their background and their education and their knowledge, if they had eight chickens in their backyard and still in the brooder that they purchased that, that is has been confirmed it's from um Mount Healthy Hatcheries. They purchased from Mount Healthy Hatcheries. Um what what they would actually do and, and of course why uh, they feel like that's what they would do and, and that'll I'm sure will spur off little fingers of different conversations about this, that and the other. So that's that's what we're gonna do. So again because it probably caused a, a little bit more um, shock factor and um, concern. Is we're going to start with with Peter Brown. He was on Monday, and uh, and we'll just go ahead and start it right here. And so Peter, tell us yep. just a snippet about your background, and then tell us again that kind of just going along here. If you uh, had chicks on order, if you received chicks uh, from Mount Healthy Hatchery, uh, whether they're still in the brooder or you've actually. Um, uh, kind of integrated them with the current
1: flock already in your backyard, uh, what would your decision be and why? Well, just a little bit about my background. I've got an associate degree in in, uh, in poultry science. Um, I've worked in the uh, commercial poultry industry. I've worked in the vaccine industry. And I've been doing this for well over 50 years now. Um, i work worked extensively, predominantly in the last 25 years, uh, or so, with uh, backyard small flock holders uh, uh, of all uh, sizes. Um, so that's my basic background um, as far as you know that part of it's concerned. Um, the problem, as I see it here, is is one. Uh, in a perfect world, uh, we may be able to uh, you know wash our hands and make this thing go away. But um, uh, you know, if it were maybe any other disease, uh, I might consider that but uh, this particular disease doesn't want to go away very easily. Um, And uh, if you have a a flock of birds, and we talked about this on Monday, if you already have a flock of birds and you've got a box of 25 birds you just bought that came from a facility that was putting out birds that were contaminated, then why in God's name would you want to bring it onto your place? You know, Therein lies the crux of biosecurity. Uh, When the Trojan horse is at the door, you don't open the door. Um, and that, that's the philosophy that I take now. Anybody that knows me over all the years that I've been doing this knows that the last thing I tell people is to put a bird down. As a matter of fact, I usually don't get involved in that aspect of it. The uh, emotional attachment and monetary attachment is not there for me, uh, although I, I do care about the birds extensively. So, caring, you know, looking at all of those different different parameters, uh, how this disease is spread, uh, the uh, uh, the persistent problems uh, from some of the uh, hatcheries that have been involved in this thing since back around 2004, um, where it's not been able to be really stopped. Here it comes again, you know, uh, right around the corner with all the steps that were taken, uh, cleaning up, uh, uh, all of the things that were recommended by a, uh, a uh, poultry specialist that had poultry experience, the CDC, CDC. Uh, all of the people that were involved back from 2004 through 2011 at least. Um, and, uh, you know, here we are again going back through the same thing over and over. And one of the reasons for it is that this problem was never cleaned up uh, in, the, in the beginning. It was never stopped uh, in, in its tracks, and here it comes again. So uh, I can't see for the life of me, uh, just as a practical person, forget about what kind of shingle you got hanging behind your name, but whether you do or you don't, as a practical thing, uh, you know, I wouldn't invite this into my yard, just would not. And those birds would never leave the box they came in. And uh, it, I take that approach because of the fact that this, this, is, uh, this, is, this is serious, spreads to other birds, uh, not easily cleaned up. Uh, vaccination for these uh, people who have 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 20, 30 birds is impractical. I've been doing this for a long time. You can't get them to vaccinate for hardly anything are skeptical of every vaccination. The Internet's made that worse. Um, how would they apply it? How would they get it? Who would pay for it? Who would oversee the proper use and handling of the vaccine, not only from the place it was being shipped from, but after it got to the uh, end user and how would they apply it and who would be making sure that it was properly done? I just see this as a bigger can of worms. Uh, I just don't That's see how, how that Pardon?
2: How about testing, uh, testing before and after uh, vaccination, and the reliability? That was another issue: with the re-
1: reliability of the testing? Okay, who's, who's going to do the testing? Number one, yeah. Who's going to do the testing? Who's going to pay for it? Who's going to go into each of these places and take the samples? It's not a uh, thing where most people can just go in and take a simple sample of something uh, and have the, uh, uh, the the sample evaluated. What laboratory is going to run it? Uh, I mean, I live in a heavy populated laboratory, a uh, uh, chicken area here, and I, I've uh, talked to the lab director here, and, and they're not capable of doing it, and would have to go way out of their way in order to do it, and so, um, you know, unless they have the... the and you're going
3: to pay for that time.
1: Yeah, you're going to pay for that time. I, I am familiar with the PCR testing, which is a two-day deal. Uh, it takes two days, roughly, to run the test, but... Uh, that alone here, a simple p c r test here costs seventy five bucks and is you know, that for her? Her? yeah, per sample, and They're you know painful. they will they will pool some for you, but still in all uh, you, you know it, 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 there is a cost here, there is a uh, i mean if this were simple that everybody could go down and do this and it was a two dollar deal, I think we might have something, but this is not um you know the the vaccines are are uh from from what i know of them over the years uh, they've they're basically protective and cross protect uh from uh, salmonella typhi murium to salmo, salmonella enteritidis. i know of of nothing about the fact or have i read anything seen anything in talking to other people vaccine manufacturers that show that there will be cross protection sufficient enough to stop this particular uh these two particular strains of the uh of the salmonella uh, I mean, on I'll, top of I'll... that yeah, on top of that, we look at about a sixty eight to seventy two percent success rate of, of of stopping the shed. Uh, so you still got about one third of the birds in uh, in a, a given flock that are probably going to be shedding the the, uh, the bacteria anyway. So I don't see a way around it uh, other than the fact that uh, from my perspective, for me, for the people that I deal with, and uh, the people who come to me ask me for help, uh, it is a is a no brainer for me. Uh, and there may be other people that might have a different uh, perspective on it. I understand that, and I understand That's that at the end of the day, this is all about dollars and cents and, and and I get it. I truly get it. but I can tell you that the small backyard flock holder does not have it um, as far as the money is concerned. Uh, I was on uh, Facebook last night, and uh, there were a couple of people on there who had received birds from from the hatchery involved. Um, And one of the first things they said was they could not afford to put their birds down. They had too much money. They're going to take their chances. And um, I liken this to the fact, uh, and and I know people will say it's not the same, but to me it is the same. This is not like buying uh, birds uh, indiscriminately somewhere uh, where there is no known threat. There is a known threat here. Okay, we know it. We know that there is a problem. We don't know. Uh, certainly that every chick that, or duck or turkey or whatever comes out of the, any of these hatcheries uh, has this problem. But we know that this problem already exists in this particular establishment. Okay, So why would you then go and buy something at this particular time from this particular establishment? Now, I asked the question of Dr. Casey uh, on Monday uh, because it, it needed to be asked, has the hatchery been shut down, cleaned up, top to bottom, and the problem mitigated, and the answer was no. So they're still shipping birds that have the potential to be contaminated uh, with these two bacteria. So from my perspective, it's like you asking me, I'm holding a glass that's loaded with uh, a potent poison, and you ask me for a, a glass of water, I dump out the poison and I put water in it. Would you want to take a drink from that glass? That's how I see it. This is the Trojan horse at your door. Do you open the door, let it in, and then deal with it, or, you know, do you not think so much of your life, your children's lives, uh, or for that matter, the rest of the chickens that you may have on your place? Because once you get it, it's going to be tough to clean it up. It's not easy. People might tell you that but it's not easy. I'm gonna am I'm gonna stop you right there because that was kind of, you you answered kind of my other
2: question of, of uh, if, if there's the potential for all chickens no matter where we get them of, of having this what makes this the, the, the any any different and you kind of answered that with your last last comment so I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there because we all do have limited time, and we've got a lot of folks that we want to get to and and get their opinion as well. So the next one in queue here is, of course, Dr. Bridget McCray uh, with uh, Delaware State. Um, Doctor, if you would uh, tell us a little bit about your background. I know you did some salmonella uh, hot and heavy when you were getting your PhD uh, research and things like that, but tell us a little bit about your background, current position, and then I will ask you the same question. If you had... Um, uh, these eight chickens in your backyard are if they were in the brooder and they were a part of this outbreak, what would you do? Maybe you already have an existing flock and these other chickens are still in the brooder. And so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of uh, knowing all of your uh, credentials and, and experience and, and, and whatnot, what you would do if you were in their shoes.
3: Well, uh, I started uh, with poultry in 4-H many years ago and pursued a bachelor's degree in poultry science at UC Davis. Um, I then uh, met a wonderful mentor and ended up getting my, my master's degree at UC Davis in avian sciences, and um, that was work with salmonella and campylobacter, and then I, I worked in the same lab doing additional projects and research work with salmonella and campylobacter in niche market poultry, so ducks, squab, quail, so on and so forth. Uh, guinea fowl too, um, and then uh, enjoyed working with Salmonella and Campylobacter so much that I I went to Auburn University to get my PhD, working specifically with Salmonella, Campylobacter, but also some E. coli, a little bit of E. coli, and um, just been working on um, a little bit of bacteriology here and there in my current position at Delaware State University. Um, but I have a 50% extension position, so extending information to the general public about good biosecurity is, is a great deal of what I do. Now, to answer your question, Andy, as to what I would do if those chicks were on my doorstep, it would break my heart, but I'd put them down. It would break my heart that, that I didn't pick up the phone in time to stop the order from coming to my door so that I didn't have to put them down myself, but um, then I would be—I would asking, you know, I—I I would be asking for my money back. Although, you know, that's, you know, honestly, Andy, I think this is going to have to come from the constituency, backyard or small flock owners, to insist on the the change that if they're not buying from this guy economically, he's going to have to clean it up. This hatchery is going to have to make changes. Apparently, they're still selling uh, chicks, as indicated by um, Mr. Brown. And, you know, if he's still selling chicks, maybe the economic incentive isn't there to make the changes that need to, to, need to take place to, to really nail this, find the source, eradicate it, move on to a healthy flock, and produce healthy chicks. Um, and it is going to take a great deal of testing and trace back to find this in the environment. Um, I agree mostly with with the points that that mr brown said he's He's not uh incorrect on on most of what he said, um if not all. Uh, I would be hesitant to say vaccinate well. You know, the vaccines that we have out now are for enteritis and typhimurium, And cross-protection isn't indicated, immediately indicated. I would like to see a study, and I'm perhaps it's out there and I haven't located it. Um, mind you, it's only been four days since last we spoke, and, and I've been otherwise occupied. But if there is a study out there that says that there is a high level of cross-protection, then I'll say... Let me read the study, and I'll make my own conclusion. Otherwise, you're looking at creating an autogenous vaccine. And who's going to pay for that? You were right, Mr. Brown. Who's going to pay for that? Who is going to go out there on a regular basis? Because it's not one shot and you're done. Never is with salmonella. It's been playing this game a long time. It's not... Give them some some antibiotics and you're done. Well, you know, salmonella is kind of cool it wants to hang in there it says yeah 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 i feel the vaccine i'm gonna go hide in this part of the body and then in a few months i'll start shedding again or when the bird's stressed it might shed it's a potential it doesn't happen every time but salmonella it's tricky that way so you would have to be vigilant do most of your listeners want to be that vigilant no and I feel for the individuals who said, I've invested too much money to kill all these birds. Fine. If you're willing to be that vigilant and not slip up, don't let anybody on your property. Do the testing if you can't afford to do so. It's, it's not even something I want to think about doing. No way, no how. And, that's, and I know how to do po- it.
2: Someone just posted in the chat room how would I know or how can I know if my birds have this or not? And it, and it comes down to that testing, basically.
3: You would have to test regularly if you suspect. Well, if you got birds from this hatchery, I would I would say you consider the birds positive until they frequently, over the course of several years, test negative. But then again, there's no no guarantees. You would take a sample... Of feces or maybe even blood um, to the diagnostic lab that's nearest you. Um, is there any way for you to find out, Andy, what state they're in?
2: Um, no, not not right now. But like I said, we have listeners in every state, so that that is, is maybe another can of worms that you know every everybody you know in every state may be listening and want to know, and so their state diagnostic lab or a local a uh, uh, university that may do that. They may have access to a, a, an avian vet that's very good in their area, I'm guessing. So it would be different for all of our listeners.
3: Or even Extension Poultry Veterinarian associated with the uh, their university right. um, that can assist them. Some of them and I'll, and I'll, specialize, but not all of them.
2: Okay. And I'll ask um, you kind of the same question that, that I was going to ask Peter, but he kind of uh, said it uh, in, with you. What What makes this today different than just um, next week or last week when it comes to, hey, you know, uh, I already have a flock uh, in my backyard and there's risks there. Uh, They could eat rat feces and become uh, infected with salmonella uh, and and so I'm, I'm taking that What's the difference today knowing there's an outbreak and any other day if you have backyard chickens? that they could get it from a wild bird or a bird feeder or bird bath or um, uh, bird droppings or rat feces. So what what makes this different than I guess any other day if you have backyard chickens knowing that there's a risk every other day as well. And you
3: in your opinion? Well, if I were ordering chicks from this hatchery, number one I'd cancel the order. So I wouldn't even invite this problem on on to my property. But if you're asking if... I, I think I'm, I'm sure – I'm not quite sure what you're asking. Are you asking – I'm trying to
2: see that, that, that for, for folks that say whether it's related to this outbreak or every day of owning backyard poultry when it comes to universal precautions and using biosecurity, what makes it any different now than it would be without the – if the outbreak
3: would have well, never okay. happened. Well, okay, most backyard poultry owners don't have the world's greatest biosecurity, um, whether they they just can't afford it, they don't have the time dedication um, or they're just not interested. Uh, but if you knowingly invite this problem onto your property and you don't have the greatest biosecurity, then I would say, cancel your order um, and order from someone who isn't currently experiencing a problem with this particular disease.
1: Andy,
2: okay. Nope, thank you. Yeah, go ahead Peter and I'm going to bring on uh, our next guest.
1: Yeah, just just one thing I think here needs to be said about about that particular scenario. <coughs> um the chances of of the the rodent uh deal um ha- happening, it does happen but in my, in my opinion in a backyard setting um and and some of the information to back that up if uh, if I may. Um, the, it, salmonella is, is not readily found as a general rule. Uh, there are exceptions to every rule, no doubt, but um, there was a fairly decent comprehensive study <coughs> called the Backyard Small Commercial Flocks Disease Report, um, and out of that there were um, 623 uh, total uh, cases of, of poultry lab-diagnosed diseases. Um, and only three were cases of salmonella as far as chickens were concerned. Three.
3: And where was that done?
1: This was this was out of Cornell University. Okay. And this is, if you'd like a copy of it. Was that the it,
3: entire West Coast? I'm sorry, uh, East Coast? This,
1: this, this uh, let me see here. This uh, There were from Pennsylvania, uh, California, New Jersey, Colorado, Missouri, South Carolina, New York, Michigan, North Carolina, Maine, uh, Delaware and Texas, and some came in from Colorado as well. The point being, uh, from 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 this standpoint, that there, it it doesn't have a foothold, basically, in uh, in backyard poultry, uh, for the most part. Um, e. coli infections were worse at 39, um, viral at 35, mycoplasma is 49, uh, Merics at 39, uh, internal parasites 104. So, uh, the, 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 the I'm
3: sorry, I chuckled because. Yeah, that's some, fine. Some I chuckle with it. Too. Right. <laughs> I
1: chuckle with it too. I deal with it every day. But um, look, I'm not here to argue with anybody. I'm not here to change a person's mind that wants to keep their birds. Uh, I'm being asked specific questions of how I would, as a poultry uh, person, uh, I've had I've had chickens for well over 30 years, and uh, have never encountered a case of salmonella ever. And. Um, I've worked on commercial poultry farms, both layers uh, and, and otherwise, and uh, never had the problem either. So, doesn't mean it isn't there. We all know that. We all know that. The the issue for me in this is that knowing, knowing that it's coming. There's the difference. Knowing. You see, you don't know that the rodent that's running around in your in your chicken coop, in your yard, in your home, whether he's carrying any of those things. You don't know that. Okay. But you do know, you do know, with a great degree of certainty, that the hatchery that you may have gotten your birds from is putting out birds. With that, that is a huge
3: difference for me. And we understand.
1: Yeah, we understand understand a lot
3: about salmonella. So we we understand where it has a tendency to live, and how how we understand a great deal about how it gets into our birds. One more
1: thing, and I think this other follow biosecurity,
3: and you'll be safe.
1: Okay, Thank real quick, Eric. and then I've got to get to uh, the next guest. Yeah, we need to look at, you know, people say, well, just, uh, you know, medicate your way out. Mm, not really. Uh, first off, it's, it's a, it's a uh, thing where we don't want to medicate birds that, that we don't know if they're sick, first off. Secondly, um, against the, uh, at least the Salmonella uh, Newport, I believe, uh, there's about 80% antibiotic resistance to most antibiotics. So the chances of cleaning it up with antibiotics are, are probably... Next to nothing, and that's uh, what anything, you do for, the, the Newport, the yeah. Newport strain. Okay. Yes, and so you know, I don't think it's doable from from that standpoint. I just don't, and, um, okay. and you know, somebody'd have to have some awful good information to make me change my mind on that one. Okay, and maybe we do. We're going to go to our next guest. I think
2: Dr. Uh, Maurice Patiski is also called in, but I've got uh, Dr. Hopkins um, on the line. He's calling gracious to, to call in his busy day. He's over in uh, Saudi, Arabia, Saudi, Arabia, Saudi Arabia, and uh, we're going to ask him the, the exact same question we asked the other two, and then I'll ask Dr. Patiski from UC Davis the same thing. Uh, Dr. Hopkins, if, yeah, no, I've seen your bio; it is very, very long. If you can touch on um, kind of the highlights of that about your background. Uh, of course, and then uh, kind of the same question to you: If you knowingly received uh, these birds from their, from this hatchery at, during this outbreak, what? And you had them again, kind of double scenario: you had them in the brooder, you haven't put them in your backyard with your existing flock yet. Maybe you don't have an existing flock; you just have them, or maybe you have an order in. What? What? With all of your knowledge and background and, and, and uh, education what what would you do? So we'll start off with some of your credentials and then kind of go through that scenario for everybody. And thank you for joining us, sir.
4: All right. First and last, can you
2: hear me okay? We can hear you okay, yep. So there's a little background noise, but I think we're going to be all right. Yes, sir. Okay,
4: good. righty. right.
2: <clears throat> I'm a uh, graduate of the
4: University of Arkansas, uh, Master's in uh poultry diseases, but back in those days it was animal science, but I, <clears throat> I focused on 100% on poultry diseases. University of Missouri, PhD, veterinary pathology, DVM, <coughs> and then I went to a small college in Missouri for my biology degree. Okay. Technically, scientifically, been working with chickens for about 30 years. I've worked with everything. If it's got feathers, I've worked with it. From awesome. ostriches to chickens to ducks, <coughs> game birds, commercial layers, breeders, broilers vaccines technical service uh, pathology diagnostic lab uh, university teaching uh, you name it I've been there vaccine production so okay the vaccines that you guys are talking about <clears throat> for the commercial industry I was the veterinary services manager for the company that made most of those so I'm very familiar <laughs> with them ninety percent of ninety <clears> percent <throat> of the vaccine that the commercial industry in the US uses at one time. I, I wrote their programs, helped them write their programs and find their isolates for salmonella. So, okay. Cause we produced the togenous vaccines for them. And we made a live vaccine as well, which unfortunately, they have to work here to anyway, so that's my background. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. I am, I'm also intimately knowledgeable of this situation with the backyard poultry and the salmonella and have been doing this for several years. <clears throat> okay, and I won't go into more details on that. Okay. But if somebody wants to contact me somehow, email, <clears throat> I can give you more information. So, knowing all the background, that's what would I do. I wouldn't <clears throat> to take the chickens at all. Okay. Now, not to say that we know that there's a risk because people are getting sick. We know that it brings back to that particular hatchery, but we also have to consider that there's thousands of shipments coming out of that hatchery that nobody gets sick. And even though the chickens may be positive, it's still the people and the behaviors that really need to be controlled. You may not be able to control your chickens near as well as you can own behavior. Don't kiss those ships, don't, don't put them in your house, You know, wash your hands, wash your clothes, keep their pen clean. That's really what you need to do. That's part of what the theory is, I guess. Okay? Now, let me go back to answer some of the other questions specifically that were brought up. Vaccination, this particular type of problem, talking specifically, not salmonella and chicken, about the male order salmonella human outbreaks. Mm -hmm. Vaccination from the producer's side, will do nothing. By the time that you did develop immunity, this problem's going to be gone. Mm-hmm. This problem is in baby chicks. And I'm sure Casey could probably tell us for sure that most of these cases are in, do not, they stop after the chickens get older than four or five weeks of age, most of them. Mm-hmm. The chickens are, are not all infected. It's being carried on the feathers. The bacteria is being carried on the feathers. That yes, with time, right conditions, the chickens can become infected. And then they'll shed it through their feces. And again, it's in the environment. And so again, the people have to take care not to ingest the Do not kiss the chicks. Do not hold them. Don't give them to the children. Don't give them to the elderly, OK? As far as antibiotics, <clears throat> Uh, yes and no. We will know here in a few days what particular antibiotics would be the most highly recommended because we, we, we're doing sensitivity testing on them now, okay? Because mm-hmm. <clears throat> we have these isolates. We know which isolates they are. Uh, the other question <clears throat> um, regarding the um, depopulation or the comment. That has to be a personal choice, and if they want to do that, it's an easy choice. You just do it. If you're asking me, should you, or do you have to, no. you Just take care, raise your chickens nice and clean. It's time that it will become a minimal issue, and we're talking about people getting sick. Okay? If I had chickens that were infected with it right now, from my background, I'd probably never get sick. Okay, and I wouldn't be taking them and giving them to a small child, I wouldn't be taking them to grandma's, to let her see them. Those are the those are the type of actions that I would take to avoid getting people sick. Okay. Okay.
0: The, and
4: um, what was the other questions? There was a couple others that I could probably answer. I know
2: there was there was there was testing, and then there was vaccination. Testing. And again, yes. for the okay. average uh, yeah, backyard flock owner, yes, sir.
4: Okay. Testing. It, if it's there enough to make the people sick, you're going to find it. Okay. I, I do this every day. I know. I find it. So <clears throat> it's not difficult. Uh, but as they say, if it's not there, it doesn't mean you're negative. But if it's not there and you don't find it, you're probably not at a high enough level to get anybody sick. Okay. You can culture feces. You can culture if a chick happens to die. You can take swabs of uh, the environment the soup in there's a variety of ways to do it and we're not just you know you're looking for Salmonella and you have to ask the lab specifically to test for Salmonella if you just say culture these birds or culture this sample mm-hmm. most do Salmonella unless should specifically ask for okay mm-hmm. and then you have to serotype it <clears throat> so you get a positive Salmonella then it has to be serotyped. Well, many labs cannot serotype the salmonella, and they have to send it off to either the national lab or another regional lab that has the the uh, tools and the the uh, supplies to be able to serotype. And that takes potentially, well, it can be up to six to eight weeks, but usually it's another eight to ten days. Okay, so that's the testing. PCR. We we can do PCR for salmonella. But it's not going to be specific for Avantis or or, or what other serotype you might be concerned about. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we- vaccination. If you want to do that, it's not going to help the situation. The vaccines are designed to be sold to commercial poultry, so they're going to come in doses of a thousand mm-hmm. or five <clears> thousand. There are live vaccines that you give. And when you give that live vaccine there is cross protection against uh, serotypes because it's a cell-mediated type immunity and it protects intestinal tract. The other, the vaccine we're talking about is a oil-based vaccine that's a killed vaccine. And the salmonella is actually dead. And we handpick which serotypes go into those vaccines. And they're usually seral group, there is some seral group cross-protection. Which gets into a little bit too much, probably for the show. But there is some right, correlation right. with the kill. <laughs> Correct. But it will not help for this situation. It takes weeks to develop immunity, and by the time you had the immunity, this problem is going to be gone. And you usually do not vaccinate chicks with the kill. You're usually going to wait until they're at least eight weeks old, if not twelve weeks or over. And by that time, you're not going to have a problem. At eight weeks, no. now. The other choice would be to give a probiotic, which is kind of a competitive exclusion product, which can colonize the intestinal tract, and it may help uh, prevent some of the salmonella from colonizing the intestines. But it's not going to stop the salmonella 100%. It's not going to kill the salmonella. It just may be going to help that bird (coughs) resist the salmonella that comes into contact with.
2: Okay. Um, and so we've got, uh, just because I want I to end of the show, of course, my goal is to say here are your options. We've got uh, really one option, which is coal, and then we have a second option. And it sounds like um, all this information, which is amazing, about the, the testing and the vaccination, e- either one of those does not sound like it's going to be reasonable or feasible for the average backyard keeper. So, So we have... Uh, again, narrowing it down, we have coal, or we have implement which they should be doing already. We all agree that. Implement good biosecurity in your backyard, in your home, on your person uh, to try to prevent uh, whether you have birds that you know or don't know that are from this hatchery or, or this goes for anybody listening who has chickens. Implement that good biosecurity. We understand. No kissing um... But the chickens, no you know washing your hands good, and then using the the, the um, uh, purel and, and those type of uh, sanitizers. Um, we had a great point by dr. McCray on monday don 't let your dog run in your poop and in your run, and then just say, "Come on, Fido, and let him run in your house um, and, and and track it in that way. I had it, somebody on my Facebook page said that was amazing. she had never thought about that, but she heard about it on the show monday that 's what it 's all about is education so i 'm um, uh, going to um, Leave you lot everybody is still live on the air, and I want to make sure I get over here as well and get one more opinion as well because that's the game plan is get as much information out there and let these listeners decide what's going to be best for them. But I think uh, I would think uh, we would all agree at this point after everything that's been taught and said, we've got one or two choices, which is coal or, or, or implement good biosecurity. Uh, at that point, that I think we all I'm thinking that would be the two, because the antibiotics the, the um, the testing is probably not going to be feasible, time-consuming, or, or financially done, even if it's available for, for the backyarder. So I'm going to go to, to our next guest, um, Dr. Maurice Patiski. He's also, or he's from UC Davis as well, a researcher. And uh, Dr. Patiski, welcome to the show.
5: Thank you. Can you hear me okay?
2: We can hear you just fine. Yes, sir. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, I'm going to, uh, the same thing I asked. Uh, Hello? 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 Okay, hang on just a 2nd Okay, let me try it now. Okay, yeah, the echo is gone. Uh, Dr. Um, uh, um, Hopkins, I had to put you on, on mute. I had a, a bad echo there, but I will bring you back on for absolutely without a doubt. So, um, Doctor, uh, if you'll tell us, uh, Dr. Patisky, a, a little bit about your, your background, your credentials, and then uh, I'll, the, the same question I asked the others. Uh, if you were, because uh, I think that's what it comes down to. If you... Um, Had received have chicks on order from the satchery, they were just delivered to you, or you already have them in a brooder, or you have already uh, integrated them with a current flock you already have, or maybe you don't have a current flock and you just have them in the brooder, and and you're hearing this for the first time, and you're like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Um, I thought this was going to be a great experience. Um, What with all of your knowledge and education, what you you would do if if you were that backyard keeper. So we'll start with some of your credentials, which are, I know uh, outstanding, like the rest of our panel, and then that question of what what you would do with the knowledge you've got today.
5: Great. Well, first, thanks for having me, Andy. So thank um, you. For well, of course, um, I think it's great what you're doing. So I'm a veterinarian at UC Davis. Um, and my uh, faculty appointments in poultry health and food safety epidemiology. I'm in cooperative extension, so I do a lot of outreach also. Um, My focus is a veterinarian. I'm an epidemiologist, so um, my perspective is um, when I look at problems, I look at probability, I look at risk, and try to measure that risk. So um, do some work with uh, a lot of work with mapping of diseases and then focus a lot on um, Salmonella Heidelberg, uh, which we have an outbreak out here in California, uh, and some broilers and also uh, do some epidemiology related to Salmonella enteritidis, um, so interested in Salmonella but from a slightly different perspective than some of the other uh, speakers. So. To- answer your question, um, so if, if those chicks arrived on, on my door, I, not to sound like a broken record, but I would agree with, um, I think, the, all the previous speakers in that um, I would recommend uh, depopulating uh, that flock in, uh, in a humane way as possible. And the reason, again, just the way I look at things is based on risk. If we know we are we have chicks coming from a positive facility for a zoonotic or, or pathogen that can cause sickness and illness, um, I look at it as, as a risk that could be avoided. Um, and there's, you can wave your arms and talk about, you know, how long the birds need to be, how often they need to be tested or what kinds of treatments you could hypothetically do or, you know, all of these that are, that are possible. But at the end of the day, you're really not going to um, have a lot of uh, certainty that what you were doing was effective and if you have children, if you're selling those eggs, if you have neighbors, if you have poor biosecurity, you could just really amplify and exacerbate a small problem into a much more significant problem. And, and as some of the speakers have kind of alluded to before, once you get salmonella on your property or any pathogen, if, it's, if it affects humans or just affects birds, once it gets on your property, it is so hard to get rid of. Um, in California, we did a study a couple years ago that was uh, published. Hello? Can you hear me okay?
2: Yep. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Tell us again. I was, I was uh, unmuting everybody to see if we had better sound, um, but we didn't, so everybody's back on mute except for you. So go ahead. You did a stud- We heard a study in California, and uh, that's where it got gurgly, so go ahead.
5: Okay, so uh, we did a study in California that looked at uh, commercial farms and their ability to uh, clean and disinfect following uh, positive environmental samples for salmonella enteritidis and 36% of the post-cleaning and disinfection samples came back positive. So the point being that even the pros, even the people that do this every single day, that have resources, that have uh, labor resources, uh, all the right chemicals, even when they do it, they can't get rid of it 36% of the time, and they have to go again to cleaning and disinfection and, and, and so on and so forth. So the point is you don't want to deal with these pathogens when they get on your farm. You want to deal with them... Uh, in a preventative way, and that's where biosecurity and those type of things come in there. Um, The only thing I would kind of point out, and this is just a, you know, everyone can do what they want, there's risks there, and if people are willing to take risks, then that's totally up to them, and I think the previous speaker kind of alluded to that, is that if someone wanted to keep those birds, obviously no one's going to take those birds away from them. Um, The only thing I would suggest, so I don't recommend that they do that, but if they were going to do that, I would basically treat that flock as a quarantine flock for the lifetime of the flock. Uh, And what I mean by quarantine is that those birds do not interact with any other birds. Um, Those birds do not move at all. And basically you keep that flock on your property in a biosecure method and you prevent them from interfacing with anything else. Um, There's still risks there, but if someone is – Basically just saying, no matter what I hear on this radio show, I'm keeping my birds, and I want to know what I have to do. Well, in that scenario, I would say you need to quarantine your flock for the, rest, for the lifetime of that flock. And then when that flock eventually um, moves on, then you need to do a very thorough cleaning and disinfection, have an extended down period. The downtime is probably the best disinfectant we have because you just get sunlight, uh, no avian life there to basically help uh, propagate salmonella. And then over an extended period of time, I would do some, potentially some environmental sampling uh, for salmonella with a diagnostic lab. In California, we have a very extensive diagnostic lab, lab system, and we do uh, um, have an environmental test that can be done by backyard enthusiasts that can be submitted to a diagnostic lab. We have four of them in California, and they'll test for salmonella enteritidis. So not for Newport or Infantis, but at least it would give um, enteritidis is one of the more uh, prevalent types of uh, salmonella associated with egg laying um, in general. So the only thing I would point out, that the depopulation, like I said, is is by far the the, the safest and probably the most uh, logical type approach. But if someone was going to consider, if they they were basically going to say, no matter when I'm keeping my flock, I would treat that flock as a quarantine flock for the lifetime of the flock.
2: Okay, and that—that's your answer, whether it be um, they have already accepted the order and they're in the brooder, and they have an existing flock, or um, if this is their first chicks they've ever bought and they have them there, and they don't have an existing flock before they put them outside into their nice newly bought coop and run before that—that—that uh, that, that, the choice before that that gets infected once they put them out. There or the possibility of them
5: getting infected. Correct. Right, so if they have, if those birds are already interfacing with uh, birds that weren't purchased from this hatchery, mm-hmm. then you'd have to treat them as infected and and, ha- and basically uh, assume that they were infected, and they would be part of your quarantine flock at this point. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you a Go ahead. Just the, only go ahead. the only other thing I'll point out is that if you have a clean flock, quote-unquote, and a quarantine cl- flock, that's very challenging to do in a backyard setting and in a commercial setting. So... How realistic that approach would be, it, it just would depend on what kind of property you have, what kind of energy you're really willing to put into this. The reality is is that most likely for most backyarders, even serious backyarders, that uh, equipment's going to be shared, um, fomites or, or uh, vectors of disease are going to be shared back and forth between that quote-unquote clean flock and the flock from the infected hatchery. So the reality is if you have any birds from that facility and you want to keep them, Uh, All the birds at your facility are going to be, in my mind, would be uh, grouped into that uh, quarantine status. And
2: then um, two two questions to kind of wrap this up Um, on this end. And what we'll get, I've got another question for Dr. Hopkins too that was in the chat room, uh, live chat room we've got going on, and and for Dr. Patiski. So what what would you say makes anything different today? Um, versus uh, yesterday or, or tomorrow, if, if there wasn't an outbreak, versus now there there is an outbreak regarding you know biosecurity. So we've, we've had a lot of people ask to say you should always practice biosecurity, no <coughs> matter if there's a a, a a documented outbreak or not. Um, it just makes sense to do whether this was last year, next year, ten years from now, 40 years ago, using biosecurity. Um, so when, when they say, hey, you just need to use good biosecurity, what what's different now that we have, in your, in your view, that we have an outbreak versus just saying use biosecurity?
5: Well, part of biosecurity is having knowledge and uh, understanding where infected birds might be coming from with respect to hatcheries, for example. So practicing good biosecurity is, you know, in a sense, listening to this radio show, knowing that there's a uh, outbreak going on from one specific hatchery and not purchasing birds from that uh, specific hatchery, so that's that's practicing good biosecurity. It's not just the physical types of biosecurity that we kind of think about, but it's it's extending that to the knowledge base that we're that we're trying to part here.
2: Okay, no, awesome. Um, I've got a question. I'm going to bring him on back, live, Dr. Uh, Hopkins, which has dealt with a lot of these outbreaks with with a lot of these hatcheries across the country over the years. This is a question from our. Um, our chat room live, and I've had this posted on on my Facebook page and on, on Twitter from from fans and listeners, and um, I, I really couldn't get an answer from CDC um, because people they they don't understand after uh, whether it's different hatcheries or not. Now we understand this is kind of ongoing with one hatchery for the last I don't know four or five six years, uh, or it could be a, a brand new outbreak next year from a hatchery that's never had a problem. Um, why hasn't the hatchery been closed down um are they still shipping chicks are those chicks they're shipping could be still infected today and and why haven't why why don't they get shut down whether it be this uh, this this outbreak outbreak 2 years ago 4 years ago why why aren't they shut down and and and, and that, i guess that's the main question from why hasn't the government shut them down to try to find out where how, when, and, and that type of thing.
4: Okay. Well, the answer to that is there's there's no uh, laws on the books authority to do that. Okay, that's that was simple, my understanding. That's I understood that. Right, uh, sir. Now, and for your audience and yourselves, and these these hatcheries are implementing what we call interventions these are things that you do to try to mitigate salmonella I can tell you they're doing more in the last five years than they have ever had in the history of selling chickens Mm -hmm. and some of these hatcheries uh, are having better success than others and there's and there's specific reasons that we know that I know why So I'll just share that this isn't a big black hole that we're all guessing, and there's a lot of guessing going on in this conversation today. (laughs) I know what's going on, okay? In detail, I know what's going on, and there's interventions being put in to try to unpick this problem. Uh, The interventions were were put in last year and the year before and we adjust and we make changes, and we were this year we weren't going to have a problem, okay? But we are, unfortunately. There's other hatcheries that had problems last year that don't have problems this year. We implemented some of the very similar interventions, and they worked at those locations. So we are doing things. <clears throat> the government is well aware of the situation. Uh, they're involved. And we're doing everything to try to protect the public, okay. And the people at the heck are just as concerned about this as we all are. We do not want to have people getting sick. Not fight, but close. Okay. What's that? No, I was I was Can talking you? in the background. Okay, so we don't want people getting sick, and so we constantly are trying to improve the interventions. <clears throat> Okay, so just want to make that very, very clear. The next
2: yeah, thing is, I is this conversation. Yeah, I, was this, okay, I posted this that on my Facebook. I was like, as far as we know, they have broken no laws. They're they're um, doing everything right. they can possible. Nobody wants anybody to get sick, um, and the, you know, no laws have been broken, and they're they're communicating and doing everything. Government, you know, the the, the specialists from Ohio, yes. everybody that's about to fix this problem, right. extremely cooperative to try to resolve this. So right, right now thing is is
4: we're talking specifically about this outbreak. And we kinda of got sidetracked on salmonella in general. <clears throat> Focus back to the uh, most of the people are getting sick by handling chicks. Once those birds get beyond four to five weeks of age, your risk as a person family, group of people, whatever, getting ill has shown, it's documented, there's not any illnesses beyond that age range, okay? Especially if you get past three months. Saying that we have to kill these birds, they for life, and you're you're going to have problems with life,
2: history has not shown that to be true. So, I'll just leave it at that. Okay, no, that's absolutely fine. I'm gonna go down the panelists and then I think we'll all kinda of, kind of agree that even after Monday's show and after today's show um, and, and everybody has, again, their own professional opinion. I was hoping I would have uh, more options <laughs> to offer my listeners and fans and everybody out there who has chickens other than just basically two options, which sounds like, and, and so I'll go down, kind of down the list. Um, Peter Brown, who, who I believe is still with us, do you have any questions for any panelists that are still live today? Or, uh, no, or just live just, on no, the radio here today
1: with, no, with I think Dr. It's, Hopkins I think it's- or Dr. And no, I think it's been very informative, and um, certainly everybody's going to have their own uh, opinion. Uh, I would just say this. Um, we're relying on people to wash their hands, not kiss chicks, not let their children touch the birds, and so on and so forth. And many of these people, that's why they buy them. They buy them for the children uh, and everything else. So to tell them that they can't touch them, you turn your back, your child picks up a bird, uh, puts his hand in his mouth, the possibility is is there. So I think that, you know, that aspect of it is is not realistic, not in today's world. Uh, You know, uh, the the discipline that it takes to to get through that, uh, I think, is, is not there on the part of the general public. And uh, that's you know one of the other reasons uh, you know, why I feel uh, I have grandchildren. And uh, like I said, I've had chick- uh, chickens pretty much all my life and uh, never had the problem. But if it was on my doorstep, I don't think I would invite it in under any circumstances. Uh, I don't think people are going to <clears throat> be in a position to wait four or five weeks before they let their kids uh, touch a bird, still not knowing whether that bird might be shedding uh, this bacteria and-, and causing the problem. Uh, just, so my perspective, how I see it as a human being, as a, a person of reason, uh, not saying that uh, Dr. Hopkins' uh, 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 knowledge and, and, and uh, experience is, is any different, uh, but I, I just don't see it happening that way. I just
2: don't. I understand. So, so it's safe to say as we wrap this up, and I thank you very much for coming on and giving us your, your, your sure. opinion uh, and your credentials. Is, is and I'm, <laughs> I guess I'm kind of disappointed, I was hoping again my goal is to have more options for people but it's, would you agree that our two options now are call or just very good biosecurity uh, for the rest of the days and that goes whether you have these chicks or not folks, whether you bought them from Mount Healthy or Ideal or Cackle or wherever, you have chickens for the last five years or ten years or the last ten days. Um, but Peter, you would agree that it's either from this broadcast from our, our, our experts here to either call or, or, or starve if you haven't already or continue to use very good biosecurity practices. Do you agree that after today's show that's kind of our only two options?
1: Yeah, uh, and I don't see people doing the biosecurity. I deal with these people all the time, uh, uh, and the biosecurity is next to nothing. Um, you know, in many cases, even in the commercial poultry industry, I've been in that industry myself, worked both sides of the fence. And uh, I'm here to tell you that, it, that if it involves money, those people don't know how to spell biosecurity. And uh, that's okay, just the that's way it is. And that's the, that's okay. the truth that- of the matter. You can paint it any picture you want, but that's the truth of the matter. And, uh, okay. That's how I see Peter. it. Thank you.
2: And thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. And uh, again, thank you so much for joining us. This is a great, great episode. Next, I'm going to go over to um, Dr. McCray and kind of ask her the same question. First off, uh, uh, question: Do you have any questions for uh, Dr. Hopkins or Dr. Patisky?
3: No, I just appreciate some of the clarifications that both of those uh, individuals were able to bring to the uh, conversation that we didn't have on. Monday. Um, to Dr. Hopkins, thank you very much for, for explaining that interventions have been put into place and that they are systematically trying to eliminate the problems. I think that's what a lot of people wanted to hear early on. And so that makes me glad to hear that, that the company is hopefully going to defeat this in the next year. Um, hopefully they won't have this problem next year. And then, and then, Dr. Pesky, you very, very well clearly explained one of the principles of biosecurity is if you're going to take this on, consider yourself a quarantined flock. Um, I think this, if anything, Andy, has kind of, um, it's made people nervous, number one, and that's, you know, normal human behavior. If, if if you're not so sure about your biosecurity, this is going to be a red flag to you because in uh, many of our minds, the silver bullet solution of antibiotics and vaccines isn't there. It comes back to biosecurity. So if you're not so hot or on top of your biosecurity, it's kind of called your bluff and your confidence. So I hope that people will really reexamine how serious we are when we talk about biosecurity. And almost every time I come on your show, Andy, it ties back into biosecurity one way or another. Correct. And that's why I cover the topics that I cover so that you so don't you end say, up in this situation.
2: So, again, wrapping it up, and I'm going to go to Dr. Patiski next, and I'm going to give Dr. Hopkins the last word uh, before we end the show. Um, uh, and, and again, unfortunately, we don't have more options. But but you would agree that at this point, with the knowledge that we have from this from today's show as well, uh, these folks they have one of two options, which is call, or again, start practicing or hopefully continue practicing good biosecurity practices.
3: Exactly. And there is a very good question that's in your chat room from East Alice Stave, and perhaps Dr. Patiski could a- uh, answer that question about. Um, Potentially contaminated feed sacks purchased from tractor supply if that's where infected birds happen to be sold I thought that was okay, an interesting I will, question
2: I will ask him. Uh, I'll ask him that now because we're going to dr. Patiski next. Thank you, dr. McRae for joining us today um, I think it ended up being a, a tremendous episode and uh, with lots of great uh, uh, ideas uh, Dr. Patisky, um any questions for any of the panelists, and or any final comments? And then, um, would you agree that um, at, at the end of the day, uh, we have two choices: uh, whether we got birds from this outbreak or not. And one is to, or if we did, uh, call, or implement, uh, or continue to implement good biosecurity. Those are kind of our two options.
5: So I would I would just distinguish it a little further. I wouldn't I wouldn't call the second option biosecurity because we have to. Um, that, that, that's something that everyone should be doing regardless. I would call that quarantine, the second option. It should be co- okay. or quarantine. Um, biosecurity is something almost kind of uh, overarching that's kind of separate from those two options. So I, I think we just need okay. to distinguish to make the point that if you're have if you going to keep those birds alive, you need to quarantine them, which is a different level of biosecurity, basically. Um, okay. The only other thing I'd quickly just offer sure. is that um, so salmonella is really complicated and... Um, There are 2,500 different serotypes or flavors of it. Um, There are more similarities than differences. And the one thing I would point out is that if chicks are infected with salmonella, they are more likely to have salmonella um, and to shed salmonella as adults than chicks that are not infected. So um, there are subtleties there, and and we can go off and, and go down all those paths. But the reality is, from a statistical perspective, if you have chicks that have salmonella, and it's in their intestinal tract, and it's colonized, and it's in their sika, the adults are more likely to have salmonella, regardless of what stereotype you're talking about. So I think people just need to be aware, the best protection you can do is when they're chicks, and if those chicks are infected with whatever type of salmonella, whatever flavor that we're dealing with, there's increased risk when they are adults. That's, that's, that's the reality. So I okay. uh, just wanted to make that, that point.
2: Thank you. And then the question from the chat room, um, if somebody had bought, if if a feed and seed store anywhere in the country received chicks from this hatchery and they were in the brooders and we know how dusty that baby chicks and brooders can be and things like that, um, uh, if these infected chicks were in the brooders in a particular feed and seed store anywhere in the country, um, the question in the chat room was, what about um, the infection Moving to traveling to uh, treat bags nearby or feed bags nearby or, or or you know anything like that that may be chick related water or feeders that are on the same aisle or at the end of the aisle or that type of thing. What, is there any risks involved there? That's never been asked on my Facebook page or anywhere else, but it was just asked in the chat room.
5: Yeah, so I, if I understand the question correctly, that, that you can get aerosol generation and aerosol. Um, salmonella can basically attach itself to particles that aerosolize and then those particles land on inanimate objects like uh, waters and feed sacks and things like that and then hypothetically those um, infected um, items then can be you know basically a a nidus of infection. You you do have what's called an infectious dose 50 so you would need several thousand organisms. Uh, It depends on the age of the chick when they get actually truly infected. Uh, Older birds you need a much higher infectious dose of salmonella versus younger birds we need a much smaller dose of, of salmonella so uh, the the is there obviously and it's good that people are thinking because this is this is this is biosecurity here we have to you have to kind of look at each thing that comes into your farm or your backyard and decide what the true risk is associated with that item and at the end of the day we're never going to be 100 percent risk-free um, but yeah. uh, we want to mitigate that as much as possible
2: Okay, very good. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show today, Dr. Diske. That is absolutely uh, great information and we thank you for joining us. I'm going to go back and kind of give the final word and, and say to Dr. Hopkins and have a question for him um, because he, he may have, again, we'll call it inside information that we don't have, that we don't see about this specific outbreak and others in the past. And I think this is a very important question. It's been asked to me. I have no idea. You may know and may not be able to share that today. But the um, uh, end my question today, but, but I know what's been asked is that out of all the birds that have come out of this particular hatchery uh, that's surrounding the, the uh, outbreak, um, uh, do we know how many birds is it a relatively small number? I mean, if they're shipping two million birds, are we looking at probably one hundred thousand, fifty thousand or is that even relevant? Um, to to the outbreak or anything else or any of these questions we've talked about today, but I know that I've been asked that many times. Is that um, you know out of the maybe millions of birds they're shipping, uh, is are we talking about a relatively small number um, that were shipped with with salmonella? Do we have that information, or is it even relevant uh to with what with our and, and then. Let's start with that, and then I'll final ask the final question of or, or do you agree that there's two options here? So, so is with your, your knowledge, your information, working with this in the past, say 2 million chicks uh, chip shift every year, or, is, or, or we're like, oh, we're just maybe, maybe just one little batch on one day uh, or, or three weeks, or are they shipping infected chicks for over a month's period, a two-day period? Um, maybe you can shed some light on that, too.
4: Uh, yes, thank you for whoever uh, said that because actually that's what I was going to bring up. <laughs> so that okay, that great. question was going to be that was going to be answered hopefully. Uh, anyways, okay, so uh, so the answer is we do not know exactly, you know how many chicks are being shipped that are positive. If we did, we wouldn't ship those positive chicks, okay?
0: Because
4: mm-hmm. uh, that's a given. <clears throat> if we could predict it, them. But it is a small number. We know that's the chicks frequently, and uh, there's a lot of negative chicks. Okay? okay. It The this particular outbreak year to year to year, it's seasonal. Okay, and you can look at the charts on the CDC website, and you can see that it's it's very seasonal around Easter. Uh, or a little, well, it start they start being reported after Easter that the people actually got sick. Within that month, around Easter, most of them. Some of them will linger into June, but it really starts tapering off. So it is seasonal, and it's during peak production. <clears throat> okay, so there is a there is a lot of risk of cross contamination during that se- season. And as the uh, <clears throat> the seasons change, the number of birds that are that are being uh, hatched and, and the the uh, frequency of affected chicks goes down dramatically. Okay,
2: is it safe so, to say? I, I don't I don't know this to be true. I'm just this is coming from me now, Andy. Is it safe to say because uh, starting out six weeks before Easter, I started putting out public service announcements uh, and, and posted them all over and and and. and our algorithms showed that millions of people saw it, but that, you know, uh, a, a picture of a chick, and it basically says, I am not an Easter basket surprise, I am a commitment. We went down a whole list of things. I poop a lot, I need protection from predators, I need continual care, da 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 um, Because this happens, of course, peak season, and, and the peak season is, again, February, like you said, maybe uh, May and June, um, do... do we, is it safe to say we see more of this because of the folks, not, not the, 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 the current backyard chicken folks that, that, that may understand about biosecurity better, but these folks that go out at Easter and they want a photo opportunity on Easter morning and they buy little chicks or ducks for their kids specifically for Easter basket surprises for that photo op. Um, these are the ones a lot of times that just go dump the duck off at the pond or the park or whatever, or, or return the chicks or, fi- or try to get rid of them on Facebook. Um, and I don't know, Casey may know that information with all the questioning she's done. Are these folks that are, are already into backyard poultry the hobby? Or are, are a lot of these just the, one of the Easter... Cute Easter picture. So I went and got some chicks because it was they were there, and I knew Easter was this weekend. And lo and behold, we handled them because it was cute for a photo op. Is it safe to say that uh, because it happens this time of year that uh, and I guess I can ask Casey and post this later um, if we know. Do you feel it's because of that uh, scenario?
4: Okay, <coughs> you've got uh, two factors in, into that question. Okay. People getting sick, yes. It's an Easter phenomenon. People getting sick. The fact that the chicks are infected is a different story. Mm -hmm. So the chicks are getting infected because uh, there's a volume issue. Maybe the interventions we're putting in aren't uh, – they're not adequate to – Reduce the salmonella during production to the level that we would like, which is where we don't get people sick. Okay, or maybe there's some breaks in the protocol because we're just so busy getting chicks out. Okay, but we do know that the protocols and the interventions work. Uh, but there's some issues surrounding that time of year in production. The people getting sick is because yes, the majority of them I think the information will show the majority of them are novice uh, poultry. Uh, purchasers, so they—they're not really chicken people. They haven't done it year after year. I think you'll find the, the people that are uh, seasoned chicken people. I don't think you'll find very many of them getting sick. There has been some reports that we have, but those are minimal. They probably wouldn't even constitute an outbreak if you just counted those. Okay, so that's—that's that's the real issue. And go back to your question about the percentage precipice- of positives coming out. Not only do we have uh, some chicks that are negative and some that are positive, go back to the previous speaker talking about, I call it the threshold of disease or threshold of infection. There's a certain amount of bacteria that has to be on that chick probably before it will uh, colonize in a person and make them sick. So just having the bacteria on the birds is not going to make people sick. It has to replicate to a certain level, certain concentration, and then it has to be fecal-oral. And I, I will dispute the aerosol because of the term. It's, this bacteria doesn't necessarily aerosolize, but it will be on dust or feces or anything else that's aerosolized. It has to have a carrier. You're, you're just, it's not gonna be left like a virus that's gonna float, throw it out of your nose and, and infect somebody.
2: You'll so have it may to be touch. on shavings that are very dusty and it happens to be on the shavings, which is the carrier, and then... And then yes. But, okay, we understand that. Okay, thank you.
4: Yes, okay. okay. So yeah. <coughs> there's something about the time period, again, around the Easter, the time period around the peak production, that that concentration material on those chicks increases. And just the statistics of how we <coughs> handle those, this hasn't been brought up but this problem isn't just the hatchery's problem it's everybody's problem because I can guarantee you that there's chicks that we culture at the hatchery that are negative that probably have been positive the time they reach a consumers household okay and it, part of that is to the concentration is so low at the hatchery that we cannot detect it with our culture methods
0: okay. but through the process
4: of shipping and handling and the stress of the chick the bacteria, Mm -hmm. the moisture, the boxes of the moisture that gets dropped out from the water drinkers and the way they handle the bacteria start to grow, and then it reaches that critical mass where it can cause infection in people. And again, I'll say, if you don't kiss them and hug them, you're not going to get sick. That's (laughs) all there is to it. Not necessarily trying to rid salmonella or rid the world of salmonella. We're trying to keep people from getting sick.
2: Uh, thank you. And so, nope. so again, yeah. uh, I'll, I'll wrap up with uh, with the last question. That, to be fair with everybody else, uh, would you agree or disagree, or add even another uh, solution to to the pot? That num- uh, basically, after Monday show and today's show, that um, again, whether you bought chicks from the sanctuary or not, whether you, whether you know they're infected or not, whether you've kept chickens for 10 years or you're going to get them in 10 years from now or, or whatever. That uh, At the end of the show, again, my goal today was to give folks options. It sounds like it's either one, and they can make the decision based on the information uh, today and Monday, and other research that I hope that they would do. But right now it sounds like that it's either A, call, or B, continue to, we hope, to use good biosecurity, or look and research what biosecurity is, and as another guest said, quarantine, if it may have come from this hatchery, Um, and do you feel like, uh, because I was was really open to give people more more options, but it sounds like across the board it's called uh, good biosecurity practices from here on out. And, and that even means if you don't buy birds until 10 years from now and, and you know they're not from a, uh, an, and that could be again for the chances of them getting any disease from wild birds or from mice that are from the food or whatever the case may be. Um, so coal or, or good biosecurity uh, are, are options?
4: Well those are options for sure. Mm-hmm. I guess you're asking is there another option? And I'll just Again, as you said earlier, and I totally agree, everyone has to chew on them and uh, make their own decisions. But if you've got chicks from this hatchery in question, Mm -hmm. and you've had them for a few weeks or longer, and you have problems with them, and you're not sick, continue as you have. You're fine, probably. The odds are in your favor that you're fine. Okay. If you're purchasing, if you want to purchase from there, in your favor again because you're getting past peak season and the risk of getting exposure is getting lower every day. There's still risk. So if you want to buy from there and you want to do it now and you're concerned, do what I'm saying. Keep the chicks clean, keep them healthy, keep them stress free, keep them at the proper temperature. Don't. Put them in your house. Don't put them on your table. Don't get them around your food preparation, and you will probably not get sick. And bacteria <clears throat> uh, doesn't doesn't cause disease in chickens to date. We haven't seen that, so you're not going to be able to notice whether it's there or not. So the only way you can tell if it's there if we culture. And it's probably impractical. But if you do have six I, chicks die, if you become ill, malaise, intestinal cramps, anyone in your family, your friends that have been around the chickens, I would definitely culture them, and then I would truly quarantine them, and people stay away from them completely at that point, and probably euthanize them at that point. Unless you have those symptoms of illness, I think you can just be practical. Mm-hmm. Clean the birds, clean your pens, and chickens are supposed to be raised. They're farm animals.
2: Exactly. Um, And I completely agree that over the years, especially the last decade that they have become, um, they've gone from, livestock to pets, uh, as yes. everybody on this panel would agree, the CDC would agree, the USDA I think would agree as well, that now that um, from the last decade, as the movement has been becoming more popular, that they now have the, uh, uh, treated more as pets than, than livestock. We see this every day with, with treats, with curtains in the coop, curtains on the nest box, um, I'll go outside and give my chickens warm oatmeal and blueberries every morning. They're all named. I have the special treats for them. You know, I have diapers for them. I bring them in my house. In um, and, and, and a magazine, just this last issue, there was a picture of a chicken uh, uh, on, a, on a kitchen counter. There was a picture of a three- or four-year-old kissing a baby duckling. Um, so so th- th- a lot of people are uh, embracing that new pet chicken um, era uh, that we have here, which may also contribute to the, the issues that we were having, so I completely agree with that, and all of our other panelists uh, regarding treating them like the, what they are, livestock farm animals. And maybe not so much the, the pet, and that may eliminate a lot of this uh, this problem um, right there with you. Uh, Dr. Hopkins, thank you so much for joining us, taking time out of your busy professional schedule as well, calling from out of the country. Uh, to be on backyard that sure. Portrait with the Chicken Whisperer. Thank you so much. I will keep in touch via email and phone. And uh, if you have any ever have any information you need to share uh, and get out to, to the public, the, the chicken owners, uh, I'd love to start a relationship with you as I have with Peter Brown and and Dr. McRae and Dr. Patiski. The same thing. And uh, again, I want to thank you and uh, for coming on the radio show today.
4: It was my pleasure.
2: And uh, good luck. Thank, thank you so much. Alrighty, that's going to wrap up another episode of Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And uh, like I said, um, you know, I- I'm trying to get a, a really good cross section of, of uh, poultry experts to come on the show different backgrounds, different universities, different states, out of the country, in the country, um, uh, and, and, and all different types of expertise to, to give us their uh, professional uh, and educated and scientific uh, opinion based on uh, fact-based, study-based um and uh, um, science based information. So now, as we end the show, i can I can we can all make the decision of what we you know choose to do from all this information and continue doing the research. There may be other research out there, but what I've gathered from from the show and all the experts uh, that we're on today is uh, and I'm kind of disappointed to be honest, I was hoping we'd have some more options even uh, even if but, um, but it sounds like the options end up after today are being coal. Um, are implement very good biosecurity practices if you haven't already. And that may also include if you have a flock that's from this outbreak, quarantine is the word that's being used, uh, which is, uh, I guess, a a step above biosecurity. So, um, uh, again, like I said earlier, don't shoot the messenger. I am the medium here to get the information to you from the experts. Um, And uh, so if you personally don't like the answer call, Please don't get mad at me because I am just giving you the information from the experts I'm having them on. Um, And you have to take all this information and do with it what you feel is best for your family because we know that there are going to be families out there that no matter what they do, um, if they received uh, chickens from from this hatchery, we'll have families that will be, no matter what they do, if they choose to spend the money and maybe vaccinate and test all the time and use biosecurity, It'll be in the back of their head. They'll just never be comfortable, and so calling may be the right thing for them. They have to make that decision. But we'll have folks that are see, I just don't see the risk. You know, you'll have people that say, more people get salmonella from lettuce or peanut butter, or more people die in car wrecks. So I'm willing to take the risk. I'm not going to call my chicks. Like Peter Brown said, he had someone to tell him, I've got too much time and money invested at this point to call them. I will just continue or start using good biosecurity practices and keep my chicks. So I think we've all listened to the same thing on Monday. We've listened to the same thing today. And you guys have to make the decision based on the information that's available to you. Nobody can make that decision for you. So um, I appreciate you for uh, tuning in today. Hopefully this has helped some folks uh, and will help you in the future. And if anything, if this outbreak has done anything, More people know the term now, biosecurity, than before. They're researching it. They're looking at posters. They're looking at what it means. It's not just wash your hands and you'll be fine. It's letting the dog go in the coop and then run into your house. It's the tools. It's the foot washes. It's the boots. It's the everything. Um, Not just, well, wash your hands and you'll be fine. I think we all agree with that. And and, uh, maybe not have so much as a pet aspect uh, because they are livestock uh kissing and, and, and that type of thing and, and having them as pets and having them in the in the house with diapers or on the kitchen counter like was pictured in a popular chicken magazine. So um, so thank you very much for tuning in, and uh, we hope you'll continue to listen to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. We do our best to broadcast live Monday through Thursday. Monday through Thursday at 2 p.m. That is, yes, my daughter, 13 months old. She's saying hi, Daddy. But um, Monday through Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and uh, where we do have the experts on to talk all about poultry. So thank you very much. We ask that you follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash The Chicken Whisperer, and uh, at Twitter, uh, our Twitter account is at the Sign, of course. Backyard poultry, and I want to again thank all of our guests for coming on today um, uh, and sharing uh, their wonderful knowledge. And so that's going to wrap up another episode. So thank you so much, and I will be posting any updates, of course, on our Chicken Whisperer Facebook page. You have a wonderful day, a wonderful weekend, and God bless everybody. (laughs)
0: Ha, (laughs) ha, ha, ha. Ha,